Amen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Beginnings and Endings class. Super exciting. <laughs> Super exciting Tuesday evening extravaganza blowout uh, phantasma. Uh, we are pre talking about creation, and we have, we're working through the uh, using the Genesis account as sort of our launching pad, but not simply staying there because all of Scripture has a creation theme. We've been working through what is going on in creation, what kinds of questions is it trying to answer, what kinds of questions would a person who lived 3,000 years ago not even know how to ask, and so maybe we shouldn't be asking those questions of that text either. Uh, this past week, we talked, we introduced uh, the image of God, that, um, that male and female were created in the image of God, and so we are uh, briefly, we talked about what the image was. It was the privilege or responsibility of bearing God's authority in the world, being set up, being created a little lower than the angels, being set up as his icons, as his images. And we talked about how that was uh, revolutionary because in the ancient Near East, the only uh, people who were made in the image of God were kings. And in some cultures, kings were gods. And so the implications of saying that every human is in the image of God is this uh, royal summons. It's this investing dignity and honor and glory and majesty into everyday average normal human beings, which is a, just a crazy thing to do. Crazy. I mean, not just crazy for God to do it, but also crazy. I'm not calling God crazy. Let me clarify. Uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an incredible, idea but then but then in the ancient near east for that self-understanding to be about common people about uh you know bakers and and farmers and sheep herders just incredible and how it wasn't just uh just men but it was also women and how this was uh, in a culture where women uh, were mistreated were treated as property or chattel or uh, a little above the slaves, that they also uh, bear the image of God, bear his authority. And then that authority is primarily expressed in having dominion, in subduing the earth, and how this has often been used as a license and justification for exploiting and abuse, but how it literally is about arranging and ordering the world and then seeing creation, creating and flourishing and life springing up within it. And so to have dominion is to go between these two. It's, it's uh, you know, yin and yang is kind of uh, maybe not from our Christian story, but there's, there's these two dialectical poles of order, order and arranging things. And then also bringing things to life and being creative giving things freedom so there's these controlling there's, there's these controls and freedom that we see is the way that god has dominion and the way that we image him in that dominion so uh the good news then let me just say it again over us because i'd love to just start our conversation with what was stirring in you what do you notice what are questions you have how is this helpful how is this confusing that god isn't barely tolerating you that this story about Humans being totally depraved and full of sin from birth and worms, wretches. Uh, we'll get to Genesis 3. 
That's trying to communicate some Genesis 3 truth. But the truth is, is that your original goodness precedes your original sin. <laughs> that you were created a little lower than the angels. You're made for majesty. You're icons of eternity. And that God uh, did not consider creation uh, very good until you got here. And so then in Christ, that means our, uh, we're, as we look at him and gaze at him, our image is being renewed. We saw that in 2 Corinthians 3. And, and Christ then shows us what it looks like to be a fully empowered, fully freed, fully surrendered human being, imaging God. And so this, I think, revolutionizes the way we see our work, the way we see our personhood, and the way we see our worth and dignity and value in the world. That's what it means to have the image of God. I could have just done that Sunday, maybe. Nice 11-minute sermon would have been good for everybody, including me. But that's not the way it worked out. So uh, let's have a conversation, people. What did you hear that frustrated you or excited you? What did you not hear? What do you have questions about? What's God stirring in you? Let's, let's chat. Um, I'll go ahead since I sort of was kind of talking to you before everybody else hopped on. Um, but I, so this, a lot of this is being stirred up <laughs> from this uh, course that I'm taking this semester on eco-justice. So we're talking a lot about um, the environment and talking about uh, ecology, talking about how, <laughs> how much we as, as, that um, that member of God's creation that has done so much to uh, cause strife and harm to God's creation. And there seems to be um, very little, I, I don't want to say that all of the conversation around it and all of the literature around it that we're reading is without hope, but it's pretty grim. <laughs> and, and a lot of that points to um, the, the, the fault of us as humankind as having, um, ha having done so much damage to, to the earth. Um, but then also, like just to underscore that, we, we are, de how dependent we are on on the rest of creation and how little the rest of creation is dependent on us. Like if humankind was no longer on the planet, everything else would get along just fine and maybe even thrive more um, without having us around to, to, to jack things up. Yeah. Um, so that's, so, so I'm constantly, that's the information that I constantly have going in and, and I'm wrestling with. And then to have that good news, um, listen to that good news from that sermon from Sunday, I, I, I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that, um, that we are, before anything else, we're, we're good, that, that God created humankind um, to be good and to, and to take care of everything else so yes. that everything can flourish. And I don't hear much of that good news, um, 
in the reading and in the class class that I'm in. Um, it's kind of just doom and gloom. Yeah, and I and, and like I said, I know that that's not all of it, but it's it seems like the majority over of it, and it sort of overwhelms me. Um, so, anyways, I I really appreciated being reminded uh, of that. So great. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. what was on my mind. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I think the, the climate change or just the, the damage we're doing to the environment is an interesting reality. It's something that has been politicized in America. Totally. So you, it's almost like Christians think that to believe in climate change is to not be a Christian. Yes. Yeah. Right? So I have to choose between Jesus or, or and that's one of the ways we choose between Jesus and science. So, yes. so, so the anti or the secularists or the, the, and the atheists, they believe in climate change. Right? That's their bugaboo. That's their thing. But we, we don't. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, like, the same science that predicted Hurricane Florence and, like, where it would land and how, how fast the winds would be and the estimated rainfall and it's tracking the next three hurricanes. That same science is the science that talks to us about climate change. It's like, yeah. it's like we watch the Weather Channel and we don't like pff, weather forecasters, libs. You know, it's not like we, it's not like anti, anti-Christians and their weather forecasts. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just really interesting that we have this selective bias against some science and not others. And the other thing that's interesting to me is that in other parts of the world, uh, Christians are sort of amused that American Christians have this disbelief in environmental damage and climate change. Like it's not politicized in the same way in like England or Argentina or Serbia. It's just not the same deal. So it's not a, it's not a political hot button issue. Um, yeah. It's fascinating. Yeah, it is. Um, I don't preach about it much. Like I don't talk about climate change much as a Christian preacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I was struck by that realization as I prepared for this sermon. And I asked myself why, like why am, like I think there is, I mean, there's some environmental, there's, uh, to borrow a word, there's some eco-justice issues, Joel, that are uh, wrecking havoc on our world, but I don't, I don't feel it as much as I feel um, other issues in the church. Yeah. And I wonder, I wonder if it's because like climate change hasn't gotten personal with me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that I can certainly relate to that too. Like it's this thing that's happening to people that live close to Antarctica or the ozone holes thinning and people get sunburnt on a cloudy day in February you know, or people, uh, higher rates of skin cancers among animals, et cetera, et cetera. Like there's, there's farmers that are like dealing with climate change in a really, really 
difficult way. And so they, like, they have a story associated with it. And we don't, we just have like, sometimes I recycle and sometimes I feel bad about using a styrofoam cup. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's our, yeah. that's the extent of how it impacts us. So I, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. Like why, why does it not become a bigger issue? But yeah. good man. I'm glad that was good news for you. Yeah, it was. Was. Great. Anybody else want to share things that grabbed you or, st- or stuck out to you? Got a message from Andrea that she's having a hard time getting connected tonight. It's a bummer. No, I, it made me it made me try to download Zoom again when I clicked the link tonight. Just just weird. I'm not sure why that is. Yeah, I didn't have any issues once I entered the right URL. Yep. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows what's going on? The, the story you shared about the guy when you were talking about the Enneagram. Yes. The guy that responded, um, I forget what he said, but that basically, I, <laughs> I know that that feeling of if, <laughs> if we are not from the start, um, completely depraved and, and, uh, and, and full of sin. There's, there's no other way to understand good news outside of that, that, that type of understanding that that guy, guy was sort of throwing back to you. Yes. <laughs> and Chewy agrees <laughs> wholeheartedly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there is, yeah, Joel. I think, I think there is this strain of Christianity that downplays what I'm calling original goodness mm-hmm. and um, bring highlights original sin. Yeah. And and. And it becomes imbalanced and it becomes, it does really bad work for some people. Yeah. Something I didn't, uh, something I didn't share in that story is this person went on to tell me, he's like, there's a mother in my church. She's got three kids. She's a stay at home mom. And she's always feeling, um, what did he say? How do you describe it? She's always feeling overextended, and like she's not doing a great job right and and he was like uh even even she needs to hear that she doesn't deserve grace like even she needs to hear about her her lack of um her her lack of like basically he's he's really concerned with somebody 
having the idea that they deserve God's favor. And so the way that the antidote to that is to emphasize how unworthy, undeserving, awful people are. Here's, here's how the Enneagram has helped me understand this. this is, we're, like, we're like in a really inside conversation now. Um, there are certain numbers on the Enneagram who constantly need to be reminded that they aren't entitled to everything. Yeah. There are some... Uh, <laughs> let the listener understand. <laughs> So, for instance, Enneagram 8s, they, they roll out of bed thinking that they deserve everything. They kind of have this notion that, like, I'm entitled to everything good, and of course, of course I should have it. Now, this is a, this is a pejorative caricature. Right. But my, the, way I, the way I've developed a little sympathy for this, Joel, is that I think that doctrine this doctrine of total depravity and emphasizing it at the, in, in, in such a way that it eclipses our original goodness. I think it's like it appeals to Enneagram eights because it actually is a healing, healthy thought for them. No, 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 no. I'm not a superhero superstar that deserves everybody's attention and adulation and acclaim. I actually, I actually, there's nothing, there's no part of me that isn't touched by sin. That's actually a healing thought for them. For shameless people, being reminded that they actually have shame is helpful. But here's the problem, and you guys know the problem already. You're anticipating the problem. Yeah. The problem is a vast majority of people are so full of shame they don't need to be reminded again that they're a wretch. I see those hands. Yeah. Yes. So, so this is why the Enneagram is important, y'all. Because we can say that, like, this person, I understand why that's important for you. But the Enneagram helps you not project your antipathies onto other people and in so doing make their shame prison doubly locked. Like, that's the most compassionate, empathetic, understanding explanation I have for why that kind of theology appeals to people. Because mm-hmm. everything else I can come up with um, isn't as kind. <laughs> Isaiah, you got something you want to share? I was trying to provoke you into speaking, Isaiah, the whole time. <laughs> yeah. So, can you hear me or am I still muted? No, we can hear you. Yes. Okay. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, so, uh, I mean, I think, I don't really know a whole lot about the Enneagram, but apparently I'm an eight. (laughs) Like every test I ever take gives me, but I would just say like, even eights can be full of shame. I would say like a dominant motif in my life has been shame. Yes. Good. So even for me, like, although, I mean, I'll be honest, like original sin wasn't like, I don't know. I mean, I had a part to play, but
but I'm not sure that was like the shame where the shame came from, but, but definitely like even, even eights need to hear that, you know, there's original things. So I, I would say, yeah. So it's, it's a, that's the healing message even for eights. Um, but uh, the other thing I was going to say was uh, I think, and, and it's kind of related is that for me, um, like, I think the, like one of the big light bulb moments in my life uh, was when I stopped thinking about whether or not I deserve God's love. Like, it wasn't like, um, like to me, the whole, like, do you deserve it? Do you not deserve it? Like, I don't, I just think that's behind the point. Like, I don't, I don't really care anymore. Uh, for me, it's just like, well, you have God's love. <laughs> so, yeah. like, you know, it, the, the, it reckoned with that fact, with that state of affairs. Um, and, you know, if you start with that, you'll go a long ways before you start thinking about whether or not it's deserved. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. For me, that's, I mean, and I think uh, definitely like growing up in sort of, a, um, I don't know, a church that, you know, weighed the do's and don'ts of, of the, you know, shame of sin very heavily, like, I think I was really preoccupied. Maybe I didn't like realize that God loved me sometimes. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I, you know, Henry Nowen, for example, has done a lot of work for me um, just in like realizing, Hey, like forget the deserve or undeserve. Or, you know, I guess it's undeserved, but that's not the point you have. it. Um, yes. So yeah. yeah. Good. Good. That's a really good point, Isaiah. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I do agree with you that eights have shame. Um, and, and I do agree with you that it really, I think the question of whether I deserve God's love or not, or deserve God's grace or not, uh, maybe a better way to say it, it may be an antidote to pride, you know, reminding myself I don't really deserve this, but it's, it's a, it's a poor way of describing what we see, how God is revealed. Um, because, uh, most of the people who encounter God's love in transformative ways encounter it in places of deep shame and guilt here where they aren't presuming upon it. And it's striking to me that in most of those cases, even when like specifically Jesus could tell people, now you realize you don't deserve me healing you. He never does that. You would think one, at one, one time he would do it if it was so important. Because this, this, this pastor kept saying to me, well, of course it's not the only thing you say. It's not the last thing you say. But you have to say it. And I was like, well, then Jesus doesn't say it. And I kind of went on a 40-minute rant, and I could tell he was done with me. Uh, anyway. Yeah, so original goodness – and honestly, you guys, I don't know if I've ever been in a church that has really taken that seriously and looked to explore it and connect it to the story in a coherent way. Can I just say one more thing? Yeah, dude, this is what we're doing. Yeah, so um, I think, you know, kind of going back to your original question, I think original sin and the question of original sin was really what sort of like I was pondering as I was listening to that. Um, and I think that um, 
sorry, gathering thoughts here. Oh, I, I, I think that original sin is really interesting, but I don't know what to make of it. Um, but it seems to be so emphasized, I think, a lot of times because it plays such a strong role in how people think about like how salvation itself works. Mm. Like, um, like, you know, if there's no original sin, then like, you know, why do you really need Jesus? Like, you know, um, you know, and it gets tied into like substitutionary atonement, but, but it gets tied into like views of justification in general. So I'm just, you know, I think I'm just saying it, it's original sin is really like a complicated thing for me. And I don't really know what to, what to make of it. Um, yeah, that's about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I heartily agree with all that. It is complicated. I think we've got, uh, we've inherited a lot of the frames of Augustine to describe what's happening in Genesis chapter three. Um, and here's kind of a newsflash for us Western Christians. He isn't the only church father who understood this. And many people disagreed with him. So we actually are going to get into that. Uh, we're really breaking this stuff down because there's so much here in this creational theology. And so to try to tackle, tackle image of God and original goodness and original sin, and even like this week, Ben's preaching on male and female. And what the heck does it mean that male and female is a part of God's image? Right. And how, you know, in Genesis two, which I didn't even touch, which describes a little bit more about the relationship between males and females. So that's what Ben's touching on today. Uh, or I'm sorry, this Sunday. So yeah, we're going to get there, Isaiah. You know, the, the Eastern church has a fascinating understanding of what we call original sin. And another interesting thing, and now that Andrea's here, she'll uh, know this too. Uh, Andrea, you, you're just going to be the Old Testament uh, sort of guru. That's, uh, that's not my forte at all. But the First Testament, if you will, or the Old Testament makes little to no mention of the fall or original sin. It's not a part of their, it's not a part of how they conceptualize and do theology. It's, it's only when Jesus is seen as the second Adam, the true Adam, the, if you will, recapitulation of Adam. Remember when you were playing kickball in grade school and there was a pitch and a kick and something weird happened, like a bird pooped on your head when you're kicking or a teacher blew a whistle or somebody uh, vomited on second base and you called for a redo or do-over, do-over, do-over. Like Jesus is the, is the recapitulation, the do-over of Adam. And I think it's at that point the church had to wrestle with what's he doing over and why is there, why is there a need for a do-over in the way that Jesus seems to have self-understanding of him doing it over. So we're going to talk about some of that at least because it's important, but it, but it isn't as important to Jews as it is to Christians. I think Jesus is the reason that yeah
Those are good thoughts, Isaiah. I really appreciate that. Thanks, dude. Other questions or thoughts about the image of God being tied to ruling? About it including women? About, about how, how the image of God changes the way we see people and treat people? Every single person. This is powerful stuff. I had a thought about it. Can I share a thought about it? Go ahead. Thanks. Thanks, Joel. Um, one, one of the things that I think would be different if we weren't renting space from Spirit of Joy and we had more say-so over how our room was set up, I think we would be worshiping in the round with the altar at the center. And part of that is um, there's a lot more sort of when you're in the round, there's, there's like no back, you know what I mean? And there's also, there's nowhere to like, it's very participatory and you are like, you can't hide, you know, that kind of thing. And it also gives you a orientation around the central point of the altar, which is, you know, with the Christ candle on it and the, the bread and the wine, it's very symbolic. But another part of this is, is I've always found it curious that I've always found it curious how I consider seeing other people as being distracting in worship. When, when they are the very icons of God. I've al it's always been this thing of like, I know I'm being kind of, I know I'm missing something. Like I'm missing something about worship if I'm distracted by seeing an image bearer. <laughs> and I think sitting in the round kind of forces you to reckon with that. Like get used to seeing people as you're singing to the Lord. There's worse things to be staring at. <laughs> uh, and I thought about that on Sunday too. Um, something that was provoked for me, just the insight that, as we worship and we're, we're, we're looking, I mean, I get to see you guys maybe more than you get to see me just because of I'm standing up front more, but it's, it's not something I readily think about. And uh, as I was preaching it, it made me think more about it. Should we go back to the food pantry? The, the food pantry, we had to look at each other, didn't we? <laughs> I, I agree that I, Miranda and I have both have talked about that before. That just, that, yeah. You articulated it well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, along those same lines, I would say I also appreciate how we have multiple preachers um, that we do kind of have someone up there as image bearer, um, 
but it's nice that it's not like the image bearer that we have a multiplicity of what that looks like, uh, male and female. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate that. I think that's a better way to go about it. But if we can't be around, at least we have multiple people up front. Yes. Yes, Ryan. And I'll, I'll just say too, one of the reasons why you've probably noticed this, especially if you've been in the College of Preachers, you, you know this already, but there's a, uh, all the preachers wear black. Part of that's our Anglican tradition, you know, the black shirt with the white collar. But part of the reason we wear black is because we're trying to highlight the image of God. Hmm. Rather than the image of Tommy Hilfiger or Lane Bryant. Okay. You like Lane Bryant? That was an interesting choice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't, I don't even really, I know Lane Bryant is in several malls. Is it, is, is, I have a question. This is a safe space for me to learn. Is Lane Bryant, why do people chuckle when I say Lane Bryant? Is it for, is it for people of interesting proportions? Oh man, I'm sorry. Okay. I didn't know that. Um, for full-figured full women. women. Okay, full figured. I didn't that's know. Why, that's not why we were laughing. I know, but the but people that, that was just on the tip of your tongue. I just, you know, I do. I don't know why things jump into my head, but that often does. For some reason, dress barn. Dress barn. Claire's. Claire's doesn't suck. Five seven nine. Is that one? Maybe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. TJ Maxx. Um, anywho. <laughs> <laughs> preach, preach, it, preach. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, that's one of the reasons we were black, Ryan. Um, is we're trying to draw attention not to ourselves, not to like my personality. You know what I mean? Like our personality does image God, but there's a sense in which it's it's a symbol. It's a symbol of drawing attention to God rather than ourselves. It's good. It's good. A couple things about this. I mean, we're a tradition of, we have priests. Like, lots of, lots of traditions have pastors or leaders or reverends or ministers. We have priests, which is a big, big, scary liturgical word. But uh, that doesn't mean that we don't have the priesthood of all believers. And so there, there is a sense that um, what, it means to, what it means to lead in our community as priest is to help awaken and enliven the priesthood of all believer calling in the people. And this is Ephesians 4 thing, like... God's gifted people to do the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ, to, to equip people. So part of it is, I just want to clarify, like just because we have priests doesn't mean we don't believe in the priesthood of all believers. This is tied very much into what we're talking about here. The image of God is about bearing Christ's responsibility in the world. Um, 
Also too, this has impacts on how we understand what it means to be saved, what it means to be born again, what it means to be a Christian. So uh, we, don't, we don't talk, really ever talk about salvation as, this, as a transaction, even though I guess you could say transactions occur, right? So Christ dies in our place. He bears the curse for us, right? Um, he takes our sin upon himself. Like there are some things that happen that sound transactional, but the larger framework in, in what is actually happening is uh, Christ is identifying with us as a human. So we are then incorporated into his victory, his life, his kingship, his kingdom. And his entire plan, this is crazy, his entire plan is to find people he can trust with his spirit. So to be saved means, means to be willing to learn how to bear the spirit of God faithfully. Which is a different, it's a, that's a different pitch on it than just, I, I have something. Like I've got this, I've got this status or this salvation or this forgiveness. Right? But, but to be saved means that you are sort of drafted into uh, a royal priesthood. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So going back to image bear, are you distinguishing? Would, so would, would you say that there is a difference between being an image bear and salvation is that what you're distinguishing because when i hear image bearer sometimes in the christian church they're referring to people who are saved right they, uh sometimes yeah actually a lot of times i feel like i've i've noticed that um but so is are you distinguishing that here um everyone's an image bearer Some people, everybody's an image bearer. The worst person who's ever lived is an image bearer. Every single person is an image bearer. So that means that, so, so this is important, Josie. So evangelism isn't, hey, you're, something's wrong with you, but if you agree with me, then something can be right with you, and we can be in the same club. That's, that's often how evangelism sounds to outsiders. Evangelism is more, hey, you don't really know who you are. Like, you, like you've been created for all these things. And as you tell me all these things that are going on in your life, they're all, they're all tethered to your created purpose to be this, because you're created in the image of the divine. Right? So then, so then salvation in some ways, again, this is a multifaceted jewel and I could have 500 phrases that unpack 500 aspects of it. But in some ways salvation is 
Accepting that you actually are made in the image of God. And that what you do with that matters. And you're going to need help to learn how to do that well. And Jesus is your guide. That's, that's, that would be a, a way of framing a gospel declaration built on original goodness rather than built on original sin. Now, I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm saying like, I've noticed when some people need to hear, yeah, uh, the reason why you're miserable and all this stuff sucks and you're sad and you're angry and you're afraid and you just punch that guy is because this is the, this is like what happens when your life's cut off from God. <laughs> like some people need to like, cause they're in touch with that. And that's like what they're, you know what I mean? And like they're, they don't want to be sad and miserable. And you can go, yeah, there's a reason here. You know, like, let me reconnect you to the source of life through repentance. But, but others are in a different place. And the good news that they can receive is, Hey, the reason why you get so much joy out of writing other people's stories is because you're, you're imaging God. That's what you're created to do. There's a reason why that brings you joy. It's not just your ego. It's not just your talent. But it's part of the way you, you image God. And I think, that, I think we need to have room for all of that when we talk about it. Because... If we don't, then what happens is, Josie, what you're talking about, where we get the impression or people actually say, you know, there's people made in the image of God and they're Christians, and then there's the heathens. Right. Or it's like, oh, we're all made in the image of God, but, you know, uh, there's this group over here that really is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, going back, to, you know, to what you were saying earlier, I remember when... I worked at Rikers Island Jail in New York City. And I remember there was one Easter specifically where I was walk watching these incarcerated youth walk through the jail. And I just like had this vision and saw Jesus also walking with them as like a young man in prison clothes, you know? And it just like struck me that like all of us bear God's image and like God is walking with all of us through any of our journeys. I think it can be really hard for, I think it can be hard for us Christians sometimes to have grace towards the worst person in the world, you know, and to actually see the image of God and what we think is just the worst. <laughs> and that could be a politically liberal person that could be a politically conservative person, you know, in our American culture, it, it, it can be all sorts of things, but it, it, it can be hard to see God's image and what we find just so awful. Yes. Yes. It doesn't even have to be the worst person in the world. It could just be the worst person we know. <laughs> That's hard enough too. 
yeah, you're right. What a, what a powerful thing to see Jesus walking with those kids, Joseph. And again, like, you know, I think, you know, just how do we declare good news to people? I think the imagination for declaring good news to people who are incarcerated and their kids are, are you sorry for your sins? Do you want forgiveness? Here's the way to forgiveness. Like, pray this prayer after me. And those things are true. But also as true is, I was praying for you as you were walking, and you know who I saw behind you? Jesus. Because do you know you're created, you're created in his image? He's committed to you. I think that's just as true. And that's, that's just as good news. Yeah. But that's the kind of thing, I think what you're naming, Josie, what you just, just described, that's the kind of thing that populates our imagination when we take original goodness seriously. When we take what Jesus is doing to reconnect us to that seriously. I think Jesus is a key linchpin and a key figure. I was thinking about you this week, Josie, because of how you just, you shared on this, on our, in our class, how often Genesis 1, 2, and 3 have been used to sort of like uh, oppress and put women in their place. And very clearly, very clearly, that like the climax of Genesis 1 is even women are made in the image of God. Yeah, such good news. And we rule with one and another. rule. Right? Yeah. Yes. Great news. Yes. I mean, I, I, okay, so like it's good news for like 2018. But 3,000 years ago, blowing some minds. Like I just, it's, it's like scripture is the least conservative document in the world. Like it is like that is such a progressive statement in an ancient Near Eastern culture. By progress, I just mean move, shifting culture forward into God's future. I don't mean that as like a political statement. You know what I mean? I mean God isn't concerned with conserving the status quo in Genesis one. He's concerned with moving uh, Israelites' self understanding and, and world understanding forward. I was thinking about you when I was preaching. Oh, yeah. It was great news. The whole time I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> That's so awesome. Oh, good. Anything else, friends? Any, any other things you want to share? This has been super fun. All right, so, so then what it means to bear God's image and to uh, subdue the earth and, and have dominion. Um, part of our mission, meaning part of the way we express 
God's rule and reign in our world is to have dominion and uh, take care of, you know, the earth. I think, I think the earth is pretty much subdued. <laughs> As I sit in my air-conditioned house on what used to be a swamp. Like, we're pretty, we're fairly, we've, we've done a pretty good job subduing. And, 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 we, and part of this creation mandate is to take care of. So I just, want, I just want to offer, like, I think it's really helpful for us to continue to listen and discern and press into what does it look like for us to express that corporately? You know, what are, what are ways that we can imagine, like, like take, take that seriously as an expression of Christ's authority in our, in our midst. You know, and I, I know there's little things that we're all doing, right? Like from recycling to reusing water bottles to eating locally to, you know what I mean? Like um, the, to staying away from certain chemicals to turning our thermostat up a few degrees to buying cars that burn less gas. I mean, there's all kinds of things we're doing. Joel stopped using Aquanet, I know, I heard this, because of the aerosol, right? No, so there's all kinds of stuff, that, but, but in terms of a corporate embodiment of that, like if you have stirrings or thoughts or questions, I'd, I'd love to hear them. And I'd I think we could talk about them as a church. I think that's often divorced from mission. It just becomes, uh, you know, like a hobby horse or a soapbox or like this cause that gets divorced from the mission of Christ. And, you know, how our justice is done, that's fine. But I think we can embody a more robust understanding of, of how this fits into the whole. So if things occur to you or you notice things, I'd love, I, I want to have that conversation more as a church, is what I'm saying. <clears throat> yeah. And I'm also committed to, like, being more sensitive to what could be like the, the scientists that I really trust tell me that like the ecological crisis that we're in is the single greatest thing we should be focusing on right now. And I, I don't know enough about it to know if they're right or not, but like they're, they're, they're like, even if we took our entire military spending budget and invested it into reversing the things that we've done to the world, it wouldn't be enough. And that kind of freaks me out. So, like, you know, I'm committed to learning more about that, I'm trying to speak more about that. But if you have thoughts and ideas about that, too, that's connected to the first thing, but that's more of a personal confession. Okay, next week, Ben is going to get into male and female. This is really important. Super important. Uh, the Gravity Leadership Podcast is something Ben and I do, and we had a conversation with a friend of ours came out today and he has this understanding of male and female as these, as these binary, like these binary things, right? Where there's something that's essentially male and something that's essentially female. And if there's, if there's people that have, you know, I brought up sort of like this idea of like, um, I, I look like a male on the outside, but I have, I have female plumbing, 
right? Which these people exist all over the world. They're all over. Uh, and his, his thing was like, well, that's probably just due to the fall. And I was like, I'm not sure. I mean, me being a jerk face is due to the fall. And I can pray about that. And I can become less of a jerk face. But if I look like a dude and I have a uterus, I can't pray that uterus away. Right? So there's at least pastorally an issue here. Like, how do I counsel somebody with that? So uh, Ben's going to talk all about that this Sunday, hopefully. Is, is, male and, are, is, is male and female essential? Are they essentialist things? Are they culturally scripted? Does sexuality exist on a binary, or does it exist on a spectrum? How do we understand that? What does male and female mean? Is Genesis equipped to answer these questions? Because there's serious questions about it in our culture. Serious. I mean, the days of uh, the, the guy being strong, unemotional, breadwinner, and the woman uh, being uh, nurturing, compassionate, and uh, dainty, like those stereotypes are increasingly becoming unhelpful because they don't explain the complexity of modern life. So we're going to go there. And uh, I really want to hear what you guys think. So next week, love to hear about it. All right. Thanks for being here tonight, you guys. Thanks for being committed to this with us. It's great to be a part of a community like this. Really value you. So good work, everybody. Until next Tuesday. Peace. See ya.